0: brought pop protected the party Pump. I brought pop protected the party Hello everyone and welcome to episode sixty one of the PDH pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad V, and let's check in on my co-host from the East Coast, the PDH PhD, Liam. How's it going?
1: It's going great. Uh, Back to work this week. Got a couple weeks of uh, Mm -hmm. PD and uh, teacher stuff to get through before the school year officially starts at the end of the month. But yeah, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, it's good to hear you're doing okay. I was kind of wondering... Because you'd been sort of quiet on the Twitters and in the Discord and stuff the last couple of days, I was like, I hope he's doing okay. And then I sort of thought, Oh yeah, yeah, it's about that time yeah, of year.
1: Yeah, the Twitter and Discord has been a little quiet for me, personally, just because the last three days I've just been so mentally wiped. Uh, not to worry. Sure. Tomorrow and sure, sure. Friday, I will be back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's just I just I come home so mentally wiped that it's just like I'm gonna you know lay on the couch and watch my wife play Legend of Zelda and do absolutely
0: nothing else for the rest of the evening <laughs> <laughs> that sounds I, I love that activity like when you're tired and just watching someone play a video game it's that's it's, so nice you just like so chill busy. out <laughs> yeah right <laughs> all right moving on dave the alkadron vader is still on his way to the pdh pals studio for the entire week so we brought on a very special guest to fill in for him this evening Let's give a big PDH pod welcome back to the show. Sean the Lobbert, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming back. Good. How are you? Doing very well. Yeah. Glad to have you back on.
2: I'm glad that you wanted to have me back on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Always. always. I think it was, what,
1: uh, episode 42 when we did that uh, 4x4 with uh, ETBs?
0: Yep. ETB commanders. Yeah. That was a while ago. That was. Oh, wow. That was almost 20 episodes ago
2: that feels like yesterday
0: <laughs> it, it, it really does like when we decided to, like we were talking about it we knew Dave was going to be gone like a while ago so we were trying to think about who could fill in for him if we needed somebody to fill in for him if we wanted somebody to fill in for him and I thought about Lobert, and I'm like well we just had him on and then like I was going through the show notes and I'm like oh we just had him on like five yeah, months ago the end of, end of March. <laughs> yeah it wasn't two weeks ago like it felt like in my head that's so, yeah, that anyway, surprising. It's always always good to have you back yeah it's super super surprising so, All right. Before we move yeah, on, I'm going to be professional. Before we move on, how We're are gone. you doing, Brad? Oh. oh, I am doing well. I'm really kind of thrown off. Like I took the day off work today. Cause our, I guess my wife's daughter, my stepdaughter had ankle surgery. So it wasn't anything major as outpatient or whatever, but uh, my wife wanted to be there, you know, motherly duties and all that. So uh, I took the day off to stay home with our son and it just messed me up. Like, I am not used to being off work in the middle of the week, and I thought it was Friday all week, and then she got home around 4, I guess, 3.30 or 4. And she's like, what time are you recording? And it literally took me like three minutes to understand what she was talking about. I'm like, I don't do anything on Fridays. Like, I don't record anything. I don't play. Nothing happens on Fridays. And then it finally dawned on me, like, oh, yeah, there's, there's still a podcast to do this week. So Right. <laughs> uh, it Sounds mess like me you up need a week get- off. I it feels like it. It really does feel like it. Like <laughs> ugh, I'm going to be so screwed up going to work tomorrow and Friday and then off again like whew, I don't know. Maybe I do work too much.
2: Day off in the middle of the week is the best.
0: It fe- it was great. I didn't really do anything. Like I watched some TV, I altered a card, I worked on decks, I cleaned up my my stacks of messy cards a little bit, cleaned the house. Like it felt really good. It just messed me up in the in the head.
2: Understandable.
0: So, <laughs> All right. Before we move on to uh, uh, pretty good this week in magic, we're going to do some housekeeping. Uh, as usual, if you like the show and you want to support what we're doing here, you can check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. Uh, by being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually kind of like a bonus episode every week. Uh, we just sort of catch up for the week, talk about the show notes, fill out the show notes, sometimes start the show notes from scratch. You never know. Um uh, <laughs> And you also get early access to the episodes, usually the night before they go out to the uh, general public. And then I usually post the show notes on Patreon as well. So you can follow along card images, links, all that good stuff. And then finally, as a patron, you get access to the PDH pod discord, where you can chat with the crew, get help with your decks, and just sort of have good conversations all the way around. And patrons get their own super secret uh, channels to talk to each other in and talk to us in. And then lastly, Well, second to lastly, we are the PDH pod on YouTube and Twitch. And the latter is where I stream Spelltable PDH almost every Saturday evening. And then for those of you that are looking for last week's live stream, uh, last episode, yeah, last week, it'll be up on YouTube uh, probably pretty soon here. So check that out. And then this is actually the last thing. Be sure to tune in. Uh, Sanctuary PDH is throwing their big PDH tournament this Saturday. I believe it starts at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so check that out. It should be on there. I think they're deciding between doing it on their YouTube channel or their Twitch channel. But um, all the details will be coming out soon, a whole bunch of stuff, whole bunch of uh, information and links and all that. Derek, professional human Derek and myself, will be commentating the whole tournament. We'll probably have a third person to hop in and out to give us some breaks and whatnot. So uh, be sure to check that out. Look for the details on Twitter, Discord, all that good stuff. So uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Liam, what do you got for this week in Magic?
1: Yeah, this week is... <laughs> it's almost like something. this month so- in Magic. It feels like this month of Magic. Uh, so those who don't know, this past weekend was Gen Con, and at Gen Con, Magic had a panel celebrating their 30th birthday. The last four years, uh, at Gen Cons and various Magic Cons, Magic has done a similar panel where they kind of show like the next year in in review, right? Like here's the next year, here, here's the next year, and like here's the name of a future product that's like the following year. And this year, for the 30th anniversary, they decided to give us the next three years of information that they mm. have. Uh, so I'm going to kind of just go through that with a couple of other unrelated announcements that have happened since then. Sure. So to quickly run through it, <laughs> finishing out 2023, uh, Preordained was unbanned in Modern, Mind's Desire was unbanned in Legacy. The third Secret Lair Commander deck was announced and goes on sale soon. I think it goes on sale the tenth, which is tomorrow in my time, which is yesterday in your time if you're Ooh, listening on Friday.
0: Podcast time. Uh,
1: the exciting thing about this deck is it is angel themed, which you know has a neat couple of neat reprints. Uh, one of which is it features a card from Sega Dreamcast in paper for the first time. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, Sega Dreamcast was a Magic the Gathering video game available only in Japanese that featured 10 mechanically unique cards. These mechanics only work in digital, which is why they've never been printed in paper. Right. And one of those cards is an angel who generates a random number between 1 and 4. Well, since Dice Rolling is now in Blackboard of Magic, Wizards decided to do a little bit of a, uh, a a errata on the card that you roll a four-sided die yeah. rather than generate a random number. Uh, functionally, it works the same. It just now works in Black of Magic because we have Dice Rolling. So they printed it in foil in the deck. The card will be showing up in non-foil in future variations of the list in Set Boosters because it is technically a mechanically unique secret layer card. While that uh, status has, up to this point, been uh, exclusive to universes beyond cards, this is the first universes within mechanically unique (laughs) secret layer card for those keeping track.
0: Right. For those keeping score at home. Yeah,
1: for those keeping score. Uh, Moving on, Drain's story has started. Episode 2 was put out today. By the time we get to Friday, we'll probably have episodes 3 and 4, maybe a side story. Uh, Ixalan is going to have an attached universes beyond in Jurassic Park, Slash Jurassic World, kind of like Bro had Transformers cards in the bundle and in set boosters. Yep, it'll be like that. Uh, it'll just be a, a a small attachment. I can't remember what cute name they gave it, but it's like a, a little universes beyond add on. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings holiday release will not only include more alternate treatments and new scenes. We got a little bit more information about that. There will be more secret layers, and unfortunately, there are some new mechanically unique cards in the <laughs> holiday release. Oh. Please insert I roll here. <laughs> Moving on to 2024, in the release order that was announced to us, we have Ravnica Remastered. Then we have the Premiere Set 1, which Premiere sets, again, are standard sets. Uh, so Premiere Set 1 for the year is Ravnica 4, uh, kind of. It is Murder at Murkov Manor. Uh, this is a the second set of the new design philosophy. So uh, Ixalan will be the first one. Uh, in the In the Last 30 Years of Magic, they have had two main design philosophies, top-down and bottom-up. Yeah. Uh, one of those is they start with a mechanical theme and work uh, creative around that. And the other one is they start with a creative theme and work mechanics around that. Yep. Ixalan and Ravnica Four: Murder at Markov Mana are the new design philosophy called Backdrop Sets, where they actually kind of decide a, a small creative vision and a small mechanical vision and then they decide that, hey, this uh, mechanical and creative vision is kind of similar to something that already exists in, in the Magic Multiverse. So let's just put it there. So uh, it's kind of been iterated that the Ixalan set did not start out as an Ixalan set. It started out as an underground exploration set. Mm-hmm. Well, exploring and dinosaurs and underground kind of fits Ixalan a little bit. So this, you know, the, the the return to Ixalan isn't a return to Ixalan as we know it. It's just a different part of Ixalan, and they decided that Ixalan fit. This motor at Markov Manor, uh, motor mystery slash clue-themed set, they decided that Markov Manor on Ravnica would be the best fit. So flavorfully, we will be on Ravnica, but mechanically, we will not. The set yep. does not care about the guilds at all. Yep. Plus with this release there was some kind of clue like the board game thingamabob that's a new magic variant. Think like the island that came with Explores of Ixelon or Plane Chase. Yeah. There's a, a new gameplay variant coming.
0: Yeah, they said they're um, not they're not just taking clue and putting magic skins on it, like it's a whole right. different it, game. Yep.
1: Right. It will not be a magic skinned clue and it will not be a clue skin magic. It's,
0: it's a whole
1: <laughs> it's a whole new thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of excited for that. I am too, actually.
1: Uh, Next up will be Universes Beyond Fallout EDH decks. Think like the Warhammer 40k stuff. Then we have Premiere Set 2, Outlaws of Thunder Junction. This is a Wild West slash multiversal villain-themed set. After that, we have Modern Horizons 3, followed by Assassin's Creed Beyond boosters. So these are not secret layers. This is not a uh, s- s- draft set booster release. They are calling these Beyond boosters. My working theory is that they will be like set boosters, but for universes beyond, which is kind of lame. Yeah, and but, that's
0: it, right? Like they're not coming out with EDH Dex on pre precons, right. something like yeah.
1: that. No, no no precons or whatever. So we'll figure out what Beyond boosters means closer. After Assassin's Creed is Premier Set 3, Bloomborough. This is Magic's first truly anthropological magic set. I think anthropomorphology is a word there. Um, (laughs) It's like Lowen, but on crack, kind of like how (laughs) Lowen had no humans, Mm -hmm. uh, but it had humanoids. It just, Bloomborough has no humanoids. Uh, Think like Redwall. And Premier Set 4 is Duskworn House of Horror. The entire plane is a haunted mansion.
0: Yes, it is. uh,
1: Yeah. It is, it is looking like something that I will be happy to skip. I will
0: happily purchase your portion of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like horror. I do not like body horror. Ugh. Moving on to 2025. This is what we know. All of these things are still in vision design. Innistrad Remastered will be coming to paper. Then we have Premiere Set 1, codenamed Tennis. It is a multiversal racing set featuring three planes. Think, like, Mario Kart meets Tron is kind of what the artwork displayed. Then Premiere Set 2 is codenamed Ultimate. This is a return to Turkey and my personal favorite announcement. Uh, This set is going to feature the best aspects of Cons of Turkey and Dragons of Turkey, but it is not a remaster, which makes me think that we're going to kind of have the allied colors battling it up against the wedges, which sounds kind of neat. Kind of like uh, the new Cons are trying to take over the plane back from the dragons.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure after that
1: we will have universes beyond final fantasy tentpole release think lord of the rings it's going to be commander decks it's going to be draft boosters set boosters collector boosters tentpole release is
0: a big release oh so this is the final fantasy is an entire set
1: yes the final fantasy will be like ltr i believe it was announced that it will also go into modern wow okay i'm i'm not entirely certain on that but i believe it it was announced Groovy. Premiere set three is codenamed Volleyball. It is an outer space orchestra-themed set, <laughs> whatever the hell Whatever that,
0: that means, I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Lava. <laughs> <laughs> Uh What is correct? Then there's Premiere set four for 2025, which is codenamed Wrestling. It is a actual, factual return to Lorwin. We bugged yeah. Mark Rosewater on his Tumblr long enough that he was able to convince the suits we needed to go back. Yeah. 2026 uh, what we know which is even less than what we know for 2025 because all of these things are still like in pre-vision design
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: premiere set one for 2026 is codename yachting it is a return to Arcavios, the world that strixhaven is on this is not necessarily a revisit to or focused on strixhaven but again this is still in pre-design like we'll get more information in 2025 but as of right now, they are not looking at a full blown Return to Strixhaven. You know, a couple cards here and there to see how the campus is being rebuilt. But yeah, mainly what, focusing on Arcavios. What
0: do we know about Arcavios? Do we know anything about it, or was it just do we just know that Strixhaven was there? Like,
1: we know that Strixhaven takes place in Arcavios. If you read the Strixhaven story, Luca briefly bu- visited a village, and the village was not very uh, keen on magic users. Oh, so it seems like Arcavios. Has Strixhaven the magical school, but they are they are anti visitors. Okay. Right. <laughs> and we also saw on a couple of cards things like Wandering Archaic and the blue green MDFC that had like some kind of oracle. Yeah. So we, we've seen a little bit, but I, I'm kind of intrigued to see a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And then Premiere Set Two of 2026 is codenamed Zip Lightning. We know nothing about this set, not even <laughs> where it's going to take place or the working title. Because that would give away too much. Yep. Uh, the only thing we know about this set is is it is the final culmination for the current major story arc, which starts with Wilds of Eldrain. Yep. Uh, think of this like the event set. It's it'll be the third ever uh, war. Of the Spark was the first one. Much the Machines was the second one. This set, whatever it is, will be the third one.
0: Yep. Hopefully, more and, battles, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and that's that's all we know.
0: That is Jeez. that is a lot. Like you were yeah. you were talking about in the pre show that normally they give us. Uh, 12 months out of information, maybe 18 months out, but I guess because of the 30th year anniversary, they went, they went further, much further than that.
1: Yep. They would usually do about 10 to 12 months and then shoot like eight months in advance and just give us a product. So like we knew about Lord of the Rings all the way back in 2021, right? Like in, in August, 2021, they were like, Hey, you know, here's the next year all the way through August of 2022. And then we're doing universes beyond Lord of the Rings, Assassin's Creed, Final Fantasy more yeah. on that stuff later eventually and later then, sometime
0: we'll get to them
1: yeah like like to the point that you know assassin's creed has been i i believe delayed a few times into 2024 wow. like i'm I'm almost certain assassin's creed was supposed to come out this fall but i think it got pushed because doctor who got pushed because it was supposed to come out with the machine so
0: see okay so i'm not crazy <laughs> that's what that's what i thought i thought doctor who w- was supposed to come out earlier this year yeah
1: yeah but I think Lord of the Rings got delayed, which delayed Doctor Who, which delayed Assassin's Creed, is I think what happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, either way. I'm they'll, not they'll tell you it was all according to plan.
2: This this segment is how I this is literally how I get most of my magic news. It's so much information. I was asking I was asking Liam before the show, like, how do you even keep up with all of this? Like I, I have a, a I have a person that aggregates it for me. Like <laughs> I listen to your <laughs> podcast, but I don't even know where you're getting this. And you're just like the home base. And like honestly, I pulled up the website, and I'm
0: like, I don't even know where I would go on this website. Just like I on get something? so lost trying to navigate Wizards' websites. Oh,
1: oh, I I can't believe I forgot the biggest piece of news this week. <gasps> uh oh. Okay. Lotus Petal got a reprint.
0: It absolutely did. I got a promotional so, reprint
1: at Gen Con. Uh, Wizards of the Coast staff members were handing out lotus petal, like like foil-etched lotus petals. Yep. They, they were Gen Con ex- exclusive for now. They will be handed out by staff members at random at MagicCon Vegas. And then they will be coming to your WPN stores, not premium. Like I mean, it will include premium, but not just premium. Your regular WPN stores, too. Right. We'll be getting them at the end of September with the release of Wilds of Eldraine. So please... For the popper players out there, you're going to see these <laughs> epic-looking Lotus petals. Do not pay the $150 to $300 asking prices that are being asked right now. Wow. They will be available in your LGS for the purchase of some kind of product or amount of money. Get them that way or purchase them for much closer to the $30 to $50 price tag in, like, a month.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they are pretty sweet. Like, to the like they're
1: expensive now. They will be a quarter of the price in a month and a half. Yeah. Just
2: wait. Yeah, just be patient. And Since preordain was unbanned in modern, those are probably going to be ten dollars, right?
1: Uh, preordain did spike a little bit, but it didn't go too wild. I mean, the right. foils went nuts. I mean, they They're all, cool. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Foils went nuts. The secret layer preordain went nuts. I wouldn't be shocked if the retro border one from uh, Times, uh, Times Power Remastered didn't. Oh, it was uh, the Brother War decks. I was like, I knew those, were retro yeah, yeah, pre-order. yeah, the
0: Brothers War decks. Um,
1: that the the the, the the retro from the Brothers War Commander X went up a bit. I think the Jumpstart one went up a bit because it has like that 2 alternate anime on it. Uh-huh. But like every regular Preordain like spiked the dollar. Good,
0: good. <laughs> like good. It's, I like it's, to hear it. it's
1: nothing to write home about. Uh, if you have one of the fancy versions, great. If you don't have one of the fancy versions, nothing happens. Nothing yeah. changes.
0: Yeah, and it helps that they've reprinted Preordain like six times in the last four years in the last or something. Year, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been Commander Legends. Uh, secret Lair, and then it had a list reprint, and then Capanna, Brothers War, Jumpstart, Lord of the Rings. Yep. And I imagine they'll probably be more willing to put it in more pre-cons going forward since it's now relevant again in, in tournament settings.
0: Sure. Good. Yep. Perfect.
1: I am a little upset. That the only printing of Preordain to not have reminder text is the extended art from Commander Legends or the Secret Lair if you really want to count that. I I, I kind of hope in the future we get a printing that doesn't have reminder text.
0: Oh, it just just straight up tells you what to do, and that's it.
1: Yeah, Scry to draw cut. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> End it there.
0: <laughs> no need to waste any ink on me, boss. I got it. Cool. Yeah, I do like yep. that. Especially yeah,
2: like for if they're gonna put it in like a standard set, I like the reminder text, but they're not putting it there. They're Mm-mm. yeah. It's yeah. always in these these like you should know what Scry does if you buy them in the products that they're in. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I would assume so, anyway. Oh, well, that, was, I th- that just might wrap up this episode. That was pretty good uh, this week <laughs> in Magic, Liam. Alrighty. <laughs> uh But no, seriously. This week, uh, we brought Lobbert on to help us dive into uh, sort of the philosophy of optimizing your Popper commander experience. Normally, uh, when I talk to Lobbert about pdh or pauper or what have you uh really any format it's usually about you know deck building card choices play patterns that sort of thing but this week i think we're gonna sort of leave all that on the curb and try to cover something completely different and that sort of goes into uh, how do you find your enjoyment in the game in the format you know from cultivating a play group uh, getting in on pickup games balancing power and competitiveness and then just sort of having a positive social experience overall, and then the inevitable mental taxation that can come with trying to find a good mix of all those things I just listed. Uh, Liam and I thought that Lobert would be absolutely perfect for this topic because um, I know just sort of following, I don't know if you want to call it your pauper career, if you will. Uh, but I know you've spent a, a lot of time and energy just trying to find that sweet spot where all the circles of this uh, Venn diagram sort of overlap. Like, You've been at it a very long time.
2: Yeah. Um, and I, do, <laughs> I don't love dealing with anything so esoteric. Most like, really, I do, I do it because I have to. Um, right. <laughs> it's it's kind of a personal nightmare to have to like go up and like tell people what I've found because it's, it's hard. And
0: sure. Like, there's yeah, yeah. not a
2: right answer to any of it. Um, mm-hmm. I can t- kind of tell you like how to not step on some landmines and. I don't plan on leaving all of the like card choices at the at the curb, and are, because that's a lot of what this is. Is like it's it's not the same kind of talking about play patterns and card choice um, as optimizing for power or to be competitive, but it's a different kind of opt- optimization for for social sure.
0: experience, right?
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I guess it's not, it's not so much a, a deck tech, but we still are sort of involving those those philosophies.
2: Yeah, those ideals. I, I do yeah. like talking about stuff that is a lot more more general than like a specific thing, like like a deck tech. I, I like most of my videos have been and, and will be just like a. So you're playing a deck, like <laughs> <laughs> that's what I usually shoot for, and I think that lands on the most people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know that your content, your videos, your streaming, you know, it reaches quite a few people and it's very, everything, all the content you really have done, podcasts, everything, it's all very approachable. And I think that, you know, I think you have a natural like gift for it, but I also think that you focus on being that way a lot of the times as well too. And I think that goes into sort of what we're talking about is that just mentality of, being approachable, having good social experiences, and just whenever you set the game down, or set your video down, or set the podcast down for the night, you walk away with a with a good feeling.
2: Well, I fooled you then. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you are so, a professional then.
2: Yeah, I guess. Because <laughs> um, I'm, I don't have a natural gift for any of that, and I don't like. I think a lot of people that listen aren't going to either, and I I really want to make it clear that all of this is learned like i i went to school for one thing i went to school for uh programming and then i got a job in customer service that i i kind of was like oh this is my middle in between job until i get my good one yeah. um and like in the meantime i would like to make my social skills better because they were terrible and being in that confrontational the uh, that space and like moving that into like I, I then started like trying to be a dungeon master for my my D and D group, and then mm-hmm. like hosting magic things at all. You kind of have to learn how to how to talk to your players and see if anybody everybody's having a good time. It also helps right. that I have like middle child syndrome, where I just want to mediate <laughs> all the time. If anyone's fighting, I'm just like, I'm just gonna hug everyone. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, that's where that's where it's coming from me. And it's something you can totally learn.
0: That's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, well, I think we'll just kind of hop right into it. Um, I wanted to start off with this first topic of the uh, power versus competitiveness. I know that this is something that everybody could get real deep on. Everyone has their sort of hot takes on, you know, there's some content sources that focus on one or the other or both. But um, I think the big difference is for just like a general PDH player or EDH player for that, for that matter. You know, I think understanding the differences between the two uh, really goes a long way, but I, I know we don't have to get like super deep into it. Cause that literally, we could talk about that for hours, you know, the different nuances and card choices and all that definitions and stuff like that. But um, I feel like, and I've done it too. Like, I feel like a lot of people confuse high power, or even competitive with the concept of playing to win, if that makes sense. Yeah. What do you think? But, like I'll I'll play like when I sat on sit in on your streams or I do my Saturday streams, like I'm kind of there to win a game, but I'm not playing like super competitively. I'm not playing the most optimized list. I'm not playing the highest powered cards, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, it's it's not a, a no holds barred. You it's you're factoring other things. Um yeah. like I I have written here like, to be competitive, you need to just optimize purely for resiliency, consistency, speed, and the compactness of your proactive plan to cram in interaction, mm-hmm. just just to an extreme, um, and yeah, without just... <laughs> regard to experience. Uh-huh. For the show we were talking about, uh, Gaunti, and if you're looking to optimize your experience for online play or spell table, that deck, that card just doesn't work well because you need to have only you see are supposed to see the card. So, yeah. it enters, you'd say, you show me the top four of your deck. That player has to, like, look away and, like, try to hold them up blindly when you, you know, give them verbal cues of, like, okay, now go through them, I want the third card. Um, and that's just, like, Ryan from the Common Connoisseurs was testing it, and, like, we we need to have these things tested, and especially we need them tested in the in the most competitive way possible. Sure. But, I, I wouldn't bring that deck to you know just to some random group because it takes just a lot more thinking
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it's i think it is important to differentiate competitive competitiveness against power um and i think that's something that Alcadron's deck do really really well of okay yeah i can present 40 power or look at these two things and how when they touch they they spin look you know like they do <laughs> two cool thing but there, there's always like a an Achilles heel or they just there's not a lot of sorting, so like these cards never touch right that's why it's they they say like it's okay to bring infinite combos or things that are powerful into casual pods like it casual doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing something cool or strong it's it's that it doesn't it's not up to the the standard of everything else that in competitive. Which is like one of the reasons I choose less powerful commanders on purpose, because the whole point of the game and the, not the whole point, but like one of the big draws is that I love optimizing things, even if it's a casual deck. Um, Like, I just want it to hum, and I want to be able to make the choice of like, okay, for experience, I'm not going to play my card, like one that recently happened. My hand was... uh, some card the the card that gives double strike and has cycling um team or battle rage and runes mm-hmm. of the dais and i had <laughs> two year bear claw that was a like uh i think it was an eight eight and so Damn. i have three double striking things and i'm just like uh cool attack you the big dude pass because mm-hmm. like i wasn't ready for that game to be over
0: right right
2: and it, it didn't feel like i was missing out on too much because i still had my stuff i could do that later i just i just wanted to let the game play out a little bit Mm -hmm. longer and that didn't mean that i'm like not playing to win either like i was still grinding a resource but after that game i i kind of found like okay well maybe i don't want so many of these effects i find that i'm wanting to kill off the last couple people this way but i don't need to just do hammer at home over and over
0: right because then that on some level that takes away from your experience, not just like the table yeah. experience or your opponent's experience.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a really good, really good example, and I think a lot of that too is you know sort of you do a really good job of this with your streams, um, and that's establishing the power the expected power, at least of the pods. Like you do a good, you know, description on your spreadsheet. You have decent conversations with the players beforehand, afterwards, sometimes even. And I think that's what a lot of people uh don't really do often. You know, Um I, I, I worry that a lot of players are well, are worried about setting boundaries, about making their boundaries clear, about what they expect from their game, from their table, what have you. You know, I'm not I'm not a super huge fan of the concept of, oh, just play what you want in my pod because I've done that. I did it, you know, for the first few months that I ran my stream, I did that and it can lead to a ton of imbalance, like a ton of games that go completely haywire, you know, some some hurt feelings, some you know overly strong decks you know that sort of thing when there's not that communication when there's not sort of those boundaries set is that something that you've seen in your stream or your 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 pod yeah and a lot of
2: it is just as easy as labeling labeling it of like we're we're going for a casual or high power experience or competitive and that's a lot of the time what all you're going to get with most groups um mm-hmm, is, right i'd love for I'd I'd actually hate it. I'd hate to spend a bunch of time (laughs) ironing out some social like written
0: contracts, hard
2: rules of like, here are my terms. Do you agree? Here's my my deck list. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you you approve of in this list? Yeah.
2: And a lot of that is like, I think the word is predicated on the idea that like, they're going to have a second deck for you to like, okay, well, how about has this one better? And people just have one. And sure. Yeah. Yeah if it if it's not the thing that you want to play against like like I said in the last episode I'm easy I just I don't care if you put me in in card jail like if you like lock me out of the game <laughs> discard discard all my hand I'm fine no matter what so I've like that was a big hang up for me even starting to play online uh was like I don't know what the social taboos are cuz in my little you know, six-person kitchen table group,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like everything goes. Sure. Um, sure. So, like trying to figure that out was like a lot of just trial and error of like, okay, like Flame Tongue Kavu. I built that deck to be underpowered, and it just removes so many things that people hate it. Uh, <laughs> so, like that was another like, I think counter spells and excessive removal is like something that you have to do when you're playing competitively but you can still have a powerful proactive deck and even you can play control uh just just be careful with like even timing it Mm -hmm. like there are uh what's what's the experience counter lady brad oh minthara minthara Mm -hmm. minthara is the perfect example of a snowball commander where the earlier you kill that card the better off you are Yes. And I think that actually makes it a terrible casual card because you're forcing people into the decision of, do I let this snowball or do I put them back to the Stone Age?
0: Yes. <laughs> yep. 100. You're absolutely right. Minthara was not. And I've noticed that with a handful of Baldur's Gate commanders is they're, they, they live in this weird gray area between too powerful for casual and not and too slow for competitive. Like it's very yeah. weird playing playing those decks. Yeah.
2: And then, yeah, and then you get into those weird conversations where you're like, okay, every time I join a game with this deck, I have to say, it's not that kind of deck. I'm doing this other thing. <laughs> and then, wouldn't you know, some of the cards just happen to share both decks and it looks like the other version anyway. And uh-huh. everyone's uh-huh. like, what the heck? You yep. said it wasn't that. And you just yep. hit us for 30, like with three creatures. Yep. Yep. It's, and it's, th- that's all with like, Random people it's it's really hard that way because you have to like I hope as as people who listen to this this podcast, you see yourself like most people don't listen to a podcast, they don't consume any content, they're kind of just like they feel it out themselves, which is super cool. I I can't do that, but I would hope that if you're spending the time to think about this and listen to a podcast about it, that you would see yourself as more of like a steward of the format and you'd take it upon yourself to make sure the games go a little bit more smoothly. I see yeah. myself that way of like, sure. I have more experience than a lot of people, not everybody, but I can at least be like, okay, well, this is what I like and be more attentive to their, their needs, their hangups. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like, okay, I'm trying to find the list of things that I hate in this game. <laughs> and I'm going to tell everybody as I join a game, don't do this. Don't um, do this. You're, Listen to a, me. Yeah. Don't, don't be a, Hall monitor,
0: be yeah, a, <laughs> you know, but be the be the opposite of a hall monitor, whatever yeah, that is.
2: <laughs> that's my strategy. But if you have something where it it does bother you, that's fine too. And yeah, if you're playing with repeat people, don't ever try. You know, you, I I would say don't keep your your feelings to yourself and just have a miserable time. Don't do that either. Yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, I think that's why you know almost any commander EDH PDH whatever content you consume there's always the overarching message of you know your playgroup your playgroup your playgroup so many people talk about your dedicated playgroup and i think a lot of that comes down to what you were just talking about is all of those things are already figured out you know you've yeah. had that playgroup for years and everyone knows each other's decks and play patterns and skill level and power level and all this other stuff you don't have to have those awkward moments or upset players or imbalanced games You know it just sort of works itself out naturally organically
2: yeah i mean i like to think it's because you've done the work like yeah a a group doesn't start out that way it's i think that they Mm -hmm. they step on each other's toes and hopefully somebody says oh sorry did i step on your toes or you know the, the other person says like hey i didn't like it when this happened or i don't like what what you did did to the game and then, like actually listening to the other person when they say, like, "No, I I want to do it anyway" or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of hard like conflict resolution things, and that's the resources I've turned to when I need to, you know, just to chat with like a difficult conversation with someone is, you know, like when I was playing D anD D, there was a player that, um, I don't know, <laughs> I don't want to get into it, but they <laughs> there was there was a big issue, uh-huh. um. And th- it was, they were close to everybody and they were clearly upset. And so he just, I approached them and say, doesn't look like you're having a good time. Like what, what should we do? Or do you feel like you're not having a good time? Mm-hmm. And then just like sitting there and listening.
0: Yeah. It's it's, that it's is kind hugely of hugely important.
2: Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. I am, like we said before, I am skipping around a lot in these notes, but. I guess I'm just ranting.
0: No, you're totally good.
2: I think another good thing when you're doing that is to choose the moment really carefully because if you snap at somebody or you're still upset, they're going to get defensive. And to have a real conversation, like, a lot of the time you just have to, like, bite your tongue, wait, and
0: then a while later... Yeah, you gotta let things cool off a little bit.
2: Yeah, to be like, hey, what's going on? And... Mm -hmm you know, is there anything I can do to help or something like that? It goes a long way. And that's, I think why we play the game is because we get these social, you know, support system.
0: Yeah. 100%. That's all.
2: That's all people need really is someone that is going to say like, are you, are you okay? Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> this <there's> is something off. <laughs> yeah. And is, is I, I love all the mechanical parts of the game, but that's super important too.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, it's a good thing to think about not just with like oh well i've got my my play group back at the house and i don't know these people that i'm playing on t- on spell table with like that's not you know you want to have that attitude everywhere that you know you want to cultivate that that positive experience sort of everywhere you go and i guess that's a life lesson too not just in magic the gathering but yeah uh i think you know we kind of touched on it quite a bit i think we can get into something that i've been doing for a while something that you've been doing for a while and that's actually streaming magic streaming pdh streaming the game itself the main thing i thought about that i threw in the show notes immediately was you know someone that goes oh i want to stream this game or uh maybe i'll play some some tournament practice room on mtg mtgo and maybe i'll go ahead and stream that versus wanting to be like a resource for content of that format you know what i'm saying like when i first started uh streaming spell table i had the option i was going oh Maybe I'll do it once or twice a month when I have free time, or I got to do it every day, you know, one day a week on a schedule because I want to be, you know, I I didn't expect to be like 5,000 viewers every week, but I want it to be like sort of a regular source of at least live Pauper commander gameplay that people could tune in or watch the videos later or what have you, not just some sort of like random streamer. And I think those are two, different things that you sort of have to decide for yourself you know what i'm saying
2: yeah i think there is a a big difference um
0: yeah and it's fine either one is totally fine like you can you know make the content however you're comfortable however you see fit
2: it's a really powerful thing to just do something at the same time every week so that other people can make that part of their their weekly i don't know ritual like their it really is I mean, it's sometimes you got to go where everybody knows your name. Like, I mean, look, the
0: the PDH pals have been doing it for years off that very concept. Yeah. And it's working out great.
2: I did also want to really touch on some of the deck building and like deck construction considerations for 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 if you're streaming, uh, if you're trying to produce something entertaining in different
0: spaces. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're a great sort of resource for that because you get to see a lot more of them of the different types than i do
2: it's it's really interesting i have i think i'm one of the only one people that do a casual night and then a competitive night like alternating so i get to see a lot of both sides Mm -hmm. um, and kind of i'm still figuring out what works and what doesn't oh yeah i just wanted to share some of that here
0: yeah absolutely i think that'd be great uh great content great information
2: so group hug is
0: something that the the pals love. I know Liam loves it. And all these all these decks or archetypes or whatever that we're going to talk about, those are all in sort of relationship to streaming itself, not just like generically going out and playing these decks. It's like yeah, you know, goes in hand in hand with the with the streaming.
2: Yeah, I I do think that there is a big overlap between streaming and randos because. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, one big positive, or some big positives for Group Hug is that everybody gets to play, it reduces the number of non-games, and it's just engaging to watch due to just how many game actions are taken.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Like, if you have a handful of cards, you're you're going to be more engaged in a game than if somebody's playing discard and you have nothing to do, and you're just waiting for your turn to come around so you can see what's on top. Make a quick yeah. decision and then go back to sitting there. It's just very different. The drawbacks of that is that I believe that it skews testing. Um, if the, I mean the the games that I play with fridges, like it's called Dakmore Mystic Deck, where everybody, I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like everybody flips. You, he looks at him and gets to say yes or no, and everybody puts him. In he, their hand always yes. <laughs> he always says yes. He always says yes. That's like the most. That's the huggiest deck I've ever seen Uh and anytime I test with that I have to like mentally be like do not count this game toward any of your your heuristics don't
0: (laughs) bring in any extra cards like don't get rid of your card advantage so not to not to sidetrack completely but on on your own back end you're actually tracking your games or you're tracking your performance or all the decks like I, I didn't know you did that I guess um no just like intuitively Oh, okay, okay, okay. That makes sense.
2: Um, Yeah, just... I think that's what heuristic means, is just, like, your... your how, you, how you feel, your lived experience, based on just what has happened. And feel free to at me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. Another thing, is, I think that it influences which decks thrive. Lately, you know, on our casual streams, Wales really likes playing just mountains of howling golems and yes
0: <laughs> a bunch of stuff like Certainly that. Certainly does. Replication specialist. Yeah.
2: Just plays the howling golem, copies it, tries to get people to attack him, wants to make deals to hand around the initiative and monarch. <laughs> which is like I I love it. Um but I have like optimized some of my decks to perform better when my hand is super full and taken out some card advantage. Cause like, what am I doing with all these card advantage spells that I don't get to play? And yeah. It's pretty consistent. And then I put Howling Golem in my deck to make those games happen more often. And it's just a completely different meta that mm-hmm. if your goal is to tune your deck to be better all around, it doesn't help with that. So you just, you have to ask, like, that's important to ask, like, what are you looking to get out of your game? Like, yeah. the more competitive streams, you don't see any of that. And then in, like, the PALS meta where they're doing live, unedited content, you just want something happening all the time, it's perfect for that. And I think that 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 mostly does carry over into games with just, like, random people. The only thing I would say is just make sure you have a win condition in your deck somewhere.
0: Somewhere. Yes, please. (laughs)
2: In in my opinion, this is maybe the hot take of the episode. Uh, Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. If you don't have a win condition... The game is no longer about who's winning or, like, the game of magic. It's more about the attention being on you as the the, the group hug player who's not doing anything of, like, look, I've warped the game,
0: but now I'm not what? playing
2: it. I'm kind of, like, to me, it's, like, you're just making a mockery of what we're here to do. Yeah, um, that's see that. And that's my hang-up that I try to shelve because <laughs> I realize, okay, well, this is what you want to play. I don't know if you have a win condition in there or not, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Did you yeah. want to say something, Liam?
1: I'm just I'm I'm thinking about your feelings on group hug, and then uh, your feelings on what you were just saying about recording, sort of kind of in your head, what's going on in the game, and and telling yourself to not count it. This sounds like expectations need to be discussed before a game. And how you optimize decks, you need to keep in mind that it might be better to optimize decks differently so that you could have decks that play at different levels, wherever the the particular pod may want to play at.
2: Yeah, and I I definitely have. And that's,
1: that's how I've dealt with it for the most part. I wasn't saying like like I wasn't saying like you need to fix how you do it. I'm just saying like just in general, people may want to reconsider what optimizing means. Optimizing may not necessarily mean let's play the cheapest spells and let's play the most mana efficient thing. It may sometimes mean, hey, this is the deck I'm gonna take on to Brad's Saturday stream. You know, this Mm -hmm. week we're doing super competitive. I'm not going to bring my colorless Ornithopter deck to that stream. <laughs> or, right. hey, this week we're playing just the jankiest stuff. I'm absolutely going to be running colorless Ornithopter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how... Like, like I mean, I'll, I'll be real. My Ornithopter deck is probably as optimized as it could possibly be. But it is by no means, you know, what I would consider powerful. So... Sure. Yeah, I... I, I I think that's definitely a consideration people need to understand when they're talking about optimization and, and the sometimes heated discussions that happen, that, that happen because of optimization discussion. Yeah, People need to realize that just because you're both talking about optimization, you might be talking about different aspects entirely.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. One particular game comes to mind of, oh, like, it was just Randos. I just joined, I think something in the pdh home base in the casual room and there was there was someone who their their commander was a combo piece and it was fairly new at the time so i don't think anyone like brought it up but Mm -hmm. then they ended up like they tried to combo off on like turn five and then like turn seven and then i think that they finally pulled it off on like turn eight and someone was like, that seemed really competitive, and they, the person was like, oh, but but it's really inconsistent. You realize I have to have all of these pieces, but there was, like, I could tell there was tension there, because that game, it worked. like It it looked yeah. like a
1: competitive deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, and trying to combo off three times in four turns feels competitive. It does, but yeah. I, yeah. But I would also be willing, like, if the person said, you know, Hey, I've got to have all these things in that game. It just lined up. I would be willing to do a second, maybe a third game, just to, to see if that that holds true. Because I know I have decks that you know you get you get the right setup, you you take it over no problem. But it's not usual performance. So yeah, yeah. And... I'm I'm usually willing to give a deck a couple of tries before I'm like, okay, you need to rethink that deck or, or <laughs> understand it's not where you think it is.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, I like. I, I did go to bat for that person because I was like, okay, no, there. This is a singleton. There's there there's no redundant effects for this. Yes, they're in blue, so they can look for it. But not there's no tutors. They just have to fairly find it, and that's the mm-hmm. only one that does that. So yeah, you know, yeah, uh,
0: and that's totally fair. I think.
2: Um, I did want to also t- touch on group slug, which is like yes. Um, I think there's two big ones in here. There's mass discard, which. I think that like group hug, competitive players don't like it as much. They I've seen a few like taskers cruelty or what's the one siphon mind
0: siphon mind. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and people are generally okay with those. But if you like really stack up on this, s- some competitive players will be upset because they see it as throwing. Cause in really combo centric circles, the last card you get rid of in your hand is your combo. Yeah. Which means everyone is getting rid of their interaction first. And it kind of just mm-hmm. like, oops, the game ended in a way that no nobody was expecting. So they don't super like it either. So I've kind of just found Master's card is like something to avoid most of the time. Yeah. Um, it has its homes. Like, I don't want to like cut out a an effect that makes black what it is altogether. But yeah. Know, that's just been my experience with it so I have decks that- no I think
0: I think you're right I, <laughs> I think mass discard is it just affects people differently like we can play in a pod where you know I gain five million life and everyone's sort of laughing about it but if we play in a pod where I you know, I remember this vividly like you and I were playing in a pod and it was whales and I can't for the life of me remember the fourth player maybe it was Abby and like you played a siphon mind and then I played a siphon mind and then you like flickered the burglar rat a couple of times. And it was just like whales had just checked out. He was like, I'm pretty much done. Like you guys yeah. will just kill me. Like the game's over. <laughs> and it wasn't intentional. Like those were just the decks we picked, but we didn't have that sort of, um, all the stuff we've talked about so far. We didn't have that going into that game. It was just, I'll never forget it.
2: Yeah, that was us figuring it out and Yes, that was that was exactly us wall. figuring
0: it out. Yep, one hundred percent. And I even felt bad when I cast my siphon mine, but I was like hellbent, and I think I top decked it. I'm like, I gotta draw cards, like I gotta do something here. Sorry, like here, sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that was a big reason why I'm getting rid of that. not not getting rid of, but like I've learned that I don't play that fusion elemental deck very often. Mm -hmm. Um, and i pick my spots really carefully with it is because there are games where it has a bunch of flicker effects and the only creature i get is a a mass discard creature and i'm like yep well this is the only thing my deck is like it's not meant (laughs) to do this it's meant to go on the
0: bull drifter but (laughs) But if i want to take game actions i gotta do this yeah 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 i Um, feel you
2: mass edicts though don't have the same effect um Mm -mm. everybody seems to be fine with those for the like as far as i've seen
0: yeah i would rather be able to cast my creature successfully and then have to sacrifice it than never get to cast it in the first place i'm generally fine with edict effects they suck like sometimes it'll just get my best creature but yeah you know at least i got to i might have gotten an etb effect off of it or Maybe I just, maybe I got the initiative off of it and then I had to sacrifice it or whatever. So I don't think that's nearly as bad, but it is it is definitely a prominent effect in the uh, CPDH realms.
2: Cool. Well, I mean, the the only other thing I think to do, you know, with, with streaming, I think the, I guess not the only other thing, I'm sure there's a million. What I would think about most is choosing when to remove a, another player. And we we've, we've touched on this of just like... Try not to just delete someone on turn four and then have yeah. no plan for
0: everybody else. Um, I, I think delete is a hilarious term.
2: I,
1: I I don't know where this is going, but before you finish sure. to interject with, yeah, I understand that's it feels bad, but sometimes it happens.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. It
1: just does. Yeah. It and happens I, in EDH. It's going to happen.
0: In I've been in pods with Lobert when I think the Alcadron was playing and you're like, uh 17 he's like oh i'm just dead yeah it was was like turn four or five (laughs) i think that's a
2: great point to to bring up because it's gonna happen and i think that is where at the table communication you need to have some intuition to be like okay well this person might be a little upset about this Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and and just like explain like okay this is what i'm going to do now this is why I'm doing it, and even if they don't agree with you, at least put some rationale behind it that yeah, they can't jump to, oh, they don't like me, they're not, you know, they...
0: Yeah, you're not just being the bully. Yeah,
2: and they're not just yeah. bullying me, you just, oh, I, ex- I explained to Alcadron, Alcadron, you have 25 power or more next turn, <laughs> I can't let you live. And he's like, sorry. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yep, understood. <laughs> so he
2: never got to attack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it absolutely will come up. And you know, I fall prey to that in my own mind too. Like sometimes I will I don't even know if there's a term for it, but sometimes I'll just give too much benefit of the doubts and I'll I will intentionally not delete a player or two and then it comes back to bite me in the ass and I end up losing because when I should have taken them out, I didn't. Yeah. But it's because, you know, like you kind of mentioned earlier like Oh, I wanted the game the game to go on a couple turns longer because I was having fun, or you know, I didn't want to feel like the bully or whatever. And then it just got me. But the, sometimes you just have to do it. It's, it's going to come up and it's going to happen, and you just have to do it sometimes. But but like you said, just be be cool about it. Communicate it. Underst- you know, put it in game terms, not like your face is ugly, so I'm going to kill you. You know, like <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> that was rude that was rude you know like yeah. make it something tangible to the game relatable to the game itself i'm curious how you guys feel
2: about a common play that i see people do of i'm going to be removed from the game so i'm taking someone out with me so that i can feel like i've done something you guys have any thoughts on that <sighs> like a... Sorry, can
1: you repeat that
2: so someone's about to be removed say they're at one they're mm-hmm. they're in first seat, they're at one, and player two has like a drain effect on on board. So they're they're for sure dead. There's nothing they can do about that. Yeah. Uh, they're not able to kill player two, but they can kill player three. At the same time they and so died. they're like, Hmm, I'm for sure dead, but I guess I'll kill player three because I wanna feel like I played it you know, part
0: of this game. Did something, yeah. I yeah. want to feel like I accomplished something. I guess I don't mind it too much. It, it doesn't feel great if you're the person that was going to win and all of a sudden you lose because that happens. Mm -hmm. Like I've lost to, and I guess, you know, the only times I've lost to that situation is it was kind of funny. Like I can't, I can't remember the build up to what happened, but basically like the game ended in a draw because I tried to take one person out and someone hit their crypt rats with a touch of moon glove and Mm -hmm. everyone died like and then the game was just over like that was the play that ended the game for every single person i i think it was my crypt rats that was going to kill players 3 and 4 well they hit my crypt rats with a touch of moon glove and it killed me like that was it so but yeah i don't think i have a super problem with it it may go back to what we were just talking about it may just go back to attitude like why did they do it like is it a spite move is it logical you know what I'm saying like I guess it doesn't come up super often so I haven't really experienced it too much is that something that you've run into Liam like do you see that commonly
1: I don't know that I see that too commonly I know the I I think for myself personally I would I would make that move if the game has been going on for a while like sure if we're on if we're, if we're approaching hour two I would kill the person just even though I know I'm dying just to make sure the game ends, uh, which I would hope Fair. at that point the whole table is open to that. Like, you know, the person that's killing me is like, hey, I've got enough to kill one person but not both. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'll kill the other one for you and you kill me and game's over, right? Yeah. Um, But if it's like 30 minutes in, I, I probably wouldn't do that just because the other person might have something to deal with the the threat. Uh, I would probably point that bolt or whatever it is at the threats face to to kind of help it along, but mm. you know, I I think it entirely depends on at, at what alamako we at
0: this point. <laughs> Fair, yeah. I guess I don't I don't consider it like a generic bad move or anything like that.
1: Right. Um,
2: it's yeah. I I don't think it's, it's either. It's I mean, it's, its... going to be up to the person.
0: Yeah, um, it's
1: got its time and place. Sure.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um. It's actually one of the things that I've seen competitive players like want to tear their hair out the most about (laughs) because they're like like heck you go to the i think cpdh guide and one of their only things they have written on the the website is i i think it's still there or i think this is where i saw it was that we all agree that we're not going to do anything that doesn't forward our own game plan or you know like we're not just going to be spiteful you know basically is what it's trying to say yeah and so I think it's like one of the only codified ones where it still happens more in com- uh, non-competitive circles. So I think it, it, it's really divisive. Yeah, num- and I, I num- would challenge all three. the competitive people.
0: Number three, players agree to only make plays that help them win the game.
2: Yes. So I, I would just challenge people to just be prepared for people to do that and try not to be too upset. You can try to explain like hey, um I'd prefer if you didn't just like ruin my chances so that you can feel something. But right if you right. like, I don't know like, but that's also like you're confronting that person in the moment at that point, And you have to be careful <laughs> and, uh-huh. you know, look around you. Like if it's a competitive setting, yeah, go for it. Like it's now or never. It's just, it, it's a really hard thing.
0: It is. It is. It can be very touchy. Yep because it's not there's no answers there's no like rule book you can look in it's literally like table to table player to player game to game like it's just going to you know your answer or your reaction to it is just going to vary every single time
2: yeah and that's that's one of the things when I was listening to I think it was the Eternal Glory podcast when they were talking about um competitive EDH like they took a couple mm-hmm. episodes to like do a sidebar for that and yep. they were talking to like tournament organizers, who were like, "Okay, so we, we had to think really hard. Are we going to codify? Can you not make a spite play?" And it's just so esoteric that yes. it's impossible to enforce that. And so yeah. it is allowed. It's something you have to be prepared for. Like,
0: yep. you're not and not, not be... every game. You may not see yeah. it for three months at a time, but it will happen. And uh, many times it'll catch you off guard. Yeah. So. I I mean, all that's... about your reaction just like the game itself it's all about how you react to it
2: yeah and a lot of the time that'll be what uh, that could be that person's formative experience on whether they're going to keep playing the game and so
0: yeah i really very, yeah very well could be
2: i really think the whole i want to reinforce the please be stewards of our format that are good and you try to explain these things but at the end of the day you're cool about it and you're like all right man then, okay, pick up your cards and yeah. try to yep. keep track of the board state with everyone else the best you can. I don't know. Make yourself
0: because yeah, <laughs> Everybody that's played this format on a regular basis for any length of time has cool, you know, memories of games that stick out in their head for one reason or another, whether it was a bad outcome, good outcome, bad interaction with a player, good interaction with the other player, and if more of those negative memories outweigh the positive memories, they're not going to play as much or they're going to see, you know, if, if I'm mad at Alcadron for some reason, and I see him asking for players for Saturday night, I'm probably not going to play because the last time I played, we got into this argument about King making or spite plays or whatever. And that's just not really what we're trying to do here, basically. So by being like you said, being a steward, you sort of like, create those positive experiences even if something bad happened in the game that wasn't good for the table or good for the experience um, like you mentioned earlier you still walk away from the game positive or you're able to talk to the player after things calm down and make sort of make things right if you will
2: yeah if they're if they're not just some rando yeah in which case it's just like well at least you never you don't have to play with that person again
0: (laughs) hopefully yeah and on that, I know you touched on it, but just try to be a good rando. You know, try to feel out like what sort of pod you're getting into, you know, what sort of decks you're up against, what do you have that you can play, like that sort of thing. Like, are you finding the right pod for how you want to play? Are you just hopping in games as they come along and eventually, you know, one out of every 10 games is going to be something terrible? Like, are you just taking those chances? Or are you trying to, like, cultivate these pickup games that you're getting into. That's really all I had to say. I didn't have any personal experience. I don't do a lot of pickup games just because I don't have the time for it. But I know that I'm not it's probably terrible of me, but I'm not like super comfortable just like hopping in into a table with people I've never even like interacted with before because because of everything we've talked about. Yeah. Like what if you know, I don't know what if I'm just playing the normal way I play with my with you know abby or whoever my play group is normally and it's not cool at this random table like there's just so many so many factors i don't even want to like think about
2: <laughs> yeah i I hope that that doesn't discourage people from
0: doing it though because no that's totally a personal personal choice absolutely i think every time i've had, had to ask like in a lot of ways yeah, for sure every time i've Jumped in the home base and said, "Hey, I need one or two more for Saturday." There's always people like replying within minutes. You know, like, "Oh, I'll play," and then someone else will be like, "Oh, if they drop out, I'll play." You know, like, there's always a ton of people willing to play. That's just more of a a, a personal a hang up of mine. One hundred percent,
2: and they've they've all been super cool. Um, mm-hmm. I won't say yeah. perfect, but I'm yeah, I'm we just, have a I'm glad that I can community. play with randos. That's the, that's one of the biggest reasons to play Magic.
0: It really is, and I love when they come on my stream, and I love the ones that I've hopped into. It just does. There is a little pit of nervous nervousness inside of me that's like, uh oh, uh oh. You know, I'm like, maybe I'm expecting the something bad to happen, and it just doesn't, or I don't know. But that's definitely like a a me problem, not a format or community issue.
2: I mean, that's something I've actually been. I've upset. <laughs> Let's see how hot of a take I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit on that. Um, How how hot of a take can we go? Yeah.
0: What temperature can we get to? Let's just go to the sun. Um, All right.
2: So I think that's something I think Sheldon Mennery focuses on and thinks that EDH is a lot more than it is of like, okay, it's your – couple of friends in your little group that you all know each other already and he they don't factor in okay we're going to a store or it's just some group through spell table as much and it's a lot of trust before the game that i think is left up to like content creators like us to just be like okay well this is what i think everyone try to be like this and the guy who has no idea just still shows up and does something weird, and all these cards are legal because that's supposed to be taken care of at the at the social level. But I, th- I just I there's not enough attention to just like, okay, well I have the day off. I'm gonna go sit in my store with all of my decks and just be like, hey, you want to play a game? Like I'll be that <laughs> guy today,
0: because that's super fun. It is super fun. It is that is really fun to do.
2: I've met people that I've been talking to for ten years that way,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: People I've never known, like people that are like completely different demographics that I never would have been able to talk to. It's like my opportunity to be social is this card game, and mm-hmm. yep. I don't know. Just, just be cool, everybody.
0: <laughs> just, just be cool. Just be cool, everybody. Yep. It's so no, hard. I, I, I think you're right. I, I, I hear a lot of. EDH players or content creators for the format. Just kind of talk about that like you know your playgroup and your playgroup and oh I've been with my playgroup for 12 years and this and that and you know your playgroup and all the trust that you've built up and earned with each other over the years but like what do you do if um, this is my first EDH game and I'm just hopping on Dispel Table because I heard that's a thing people do. You know what I mean? Like I don't have any friends like what am I supposed to do here? Like there's no I have the the rulebook to Magic. I don't have the yeah. rule book to the game, to the people, to the pod, to the other players.
2: Can you imagine starting to play
0: Magic with just like the rules, like just oh God, all no. of
2: them written out? <laughs>
0: nope. No, there's no way. There's there's no way. There's no way I could do it. Uh, I am glad I learned when I did. When it was, I mean, there were still a stack of rules back in the day, but it was nothing like it is now.
2: What was the legend rule back
0: then? One in your deck.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, you could only have one in your entire deck. And I believe even with one in your entire deck. Oh, I guess that's the same as it is now. But no, there could only be one in your entire deck. Yeah. And then it changed to four, you could have up to four in your deck, but only one could be on the battlefield at any one time, like That's when like I started what, playing. Yeah, so people would tech against legendary lands with their own legendary lands to like blow up their opponents, like even though they had no use for them.
2: <laughs> yeah, you'd play the three mana jace to yeah <laughs> to as a removal spell for the the five or four mana jace.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. So but yeah, when I first started, it was yeah you could have one legendary in your deck, and I believe at the same you know there could only be one on the battlefield at the same time. I believe. Yep.
2: Anyway, I think I a... think that's most of my thoughts on this subject um i i feel like there was a lot of like just like hand waving of like yeah it's really hard yeah (laughs) um but that's on paper like in my head about it yeah this (laughs) this topic
0: this topic of this episode seemed a lot not easier but just i'm just gonna use that word it seemed a lot easier in my head and in the show notes than it actually did when you're trying to explain it like you just talked about, like, can you imagine trying to learn Magic the Gathering from a rules book? Where now we're, like, trying to talk about learning the social experience of Magic the Gathering from a rules book. Like, it doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> you sort of yeah. have to write your own rules book.
2: And I'm sure that there's a, a larger than normal percentage of our community that is somewhere on the spectrum where social cues don't make sense. And so, like, I'm hoping that some of this helps people like that of like more like I'm trying to give more hard rules but there just aren't hard rules yeah because um, a lot of it I'll, is just like was that okay did you guys have a good time should I change what I did even yeah. with randos so that future randos have a better experience playing with you is
0: it's yeah, 100% what it comes down to. yeah it really is just maybe that's just the title of the episode just be cool <laughs> <laughs> No, it really is like you just want to create that positive environment and understand that crap's gonna happen because it just does Mm -hmm. and it's not how do you feel about this one just sort of popped up in my head like do you feel extra responsibility for the table being the host every monday night i do like Like, a lot responsible for everyone's enjoyment sort of thing yeah, like because I know I do on Saturdays for sure.
2: Yeah, it's like whose whose job is it to bring up the the awkward conversation of like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> is you know, are, are we gonna? I, I don't know. Just like, are we gonna have a, a problem or uh, maybe you shouldn't do that?
0: Yeah, um, maybe you want to rethink this.
2: That. Yeah, because yeah. um, if if I wasn't in charge, I would just clam up and just be like, well, I. Uh, we're in your house basically if yeah. you want to make your house weird then so be it i can leave <laughs> at any time go for it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah okay so it's a, I guess that's a regular a regular just host thing
2: yeah i mean if it falls to, i think it falls to the dungeon master in dnd
0: we're mm, like for you're, sure yep.
2: you're in charge you have a modicum of authority and so you have all of the responsibilities of making everything happen
0: yeah yeah Awesome. Well did uh, do either of you have anything you want to add to this wild, wacky, esoteric topic? I think I said too much. Pretty uh <laughs> <laughs> we have a pretty involved listener question this week. Liam, do you wanna uh, do you wanna tell us what that is? Yeah. Uh
1: so listener Yo Man Yo, which I think is from Twitter,
0: asks Uh Patreon.
1: Oh Patreon, okay. Yeah. Great okay. username. I'm getting fancy with the questions this week. I know. Uh, they ask, what are your thoughts on running Monarch and potentially Initiative cards when your, deck build, when your deck builds find it hard to protect or regain those mechanics? But you run those mechanics to let your opponents beat each other to death without trying to regain or protect it. So, there's a couple questions there. Uh, what are your feelings on running the Monarch and or Initiative when you find it hard to protect? What are your feelings on running monarch and/or initiative when you find it hard to regain? And then the third part of this question is: Is the potential upside of war between your opponents worth the advantage they get? And so their example that they provided is as a strategy in their Viscopa Guild Mage deck. Uh, they are running some Monarch cards for the initial card advantage, but the main goal of those Monarch cards is to let the opponents gain the Monarch and beat each other down while they wait for the right time to go off with Viscopa. They are thinking that initiative is too much value to let go of and they probably shouldn't be doing that in competitive metas, but though curious about how Monarch is impacted by that. That is a really so, good involved question.
0: Uh, Lopper, as the guest, do you want to take it?
2: Oh, sure. So, as far as a non-competitive pot goes, that's completely fine. If you want to give away resources and see how that goes, like, sure. I But trying to be optimal and, like, do do I think it increases your chance to win? I don't think so. It's just a lot of value to let your opponents have. And if, if they're trading it back and forth... Um, and you're really left out at that point, and I would take either of them as the person that's gonna win the game over you um it and it just gets harder and harder to keep them in their bottle, you know to try to like
0: yeah keep them eventually contained. eventually specifically with the undercity the initiative, eventually one of those two op- opponents if they're going back and forth trading the initiative, one of those two is gonna snowball into something that's gonna take you out of the game.
2: Yeah, and just that's that's barring. What if they work out a deal? What if they <laughs> say, "Okay, if I hit you with a one-one, um, I'll let you have it back, um, and for minimal damage, and then I can focus all of my attention on this other guy over here who's trying yep. to combo off." Um, I don't like giving a lot of trust, and even if the incentive is there, um, for to trust that your opponents will go for that incentive. Especially when it's a trick, is just really dangerous. Yeah, um, I have some suggestions on what to do instead, but do you guys have any uh, questions on, or uh, uh, suggestions
1: or opinions on just if you'd run it or not? What about you, Liam? What do you think? On um, what my answer to the question? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So when it comes to the monarch initiative and. Finding them hard to protect, I don't mind the effects as much. Uh, when it's running monarch and initiative and finding it hard to regain, they're heavily reconsidered. I personally enjoy the mechanics, but I don't, and I, I don't really mind intru- introducing them. Tongue twisting there, eh? I really don't <laughs> mind introducing them to the game. This is. Primarily because I'm more of an aggro slash casual player, so letting my opponents beat each other tends to be fine in the metas that I'm running around in. Yeah. It also tends to benefit me as a frequent Voltron player, if they're lowering each other's life totals for me. The potential upside of war, outside of a, a casually oriented group or a group of friends, is probably not worth it, because any benefit you would gain from them lowering each other's life totals is offset by the cards they draw or the tokens they make. Uh, if you're going for optimization or power, you really can't let that kind of power, uh, that kind of value, slip. Yeah. Uh, for it's, sure. Whether whether that's through protection or the ability to easily and effortlessly regain them, then you know you can consider them depending on your deck. But like if if you can't protect or easily regain them, I would not consider them in a competitive meta.
0: Yeah, I I, I think you kind of nailed it there. Mm.
1: Like like I you know, when it comes to protecting them, I think there are arguments that certain decks are fine letting them go around the table or letting someone take it from you. Because you can easily take it back. Yeah. But if you can't easily take it back, and you can't protect it, don't. They're expensive effects. (laughs) They They are. are.
0: They are. They really are.
2: I've gotten so greedy that, like, in my my Thraben Watcher deck, that's my current competitive brew vigilance yep. tribal thing yep. um <laughs> i don't i i've run like one initiative card and it's come in and out um and i don't run any monarch cards and that deck is like one of the best i've ever seen at holding it
0: sure uh, yeah
2: yeah yeah. and it's just because i don't want to spend that amount of mana and if someone else is willing to bring it into the game i'll just take the free value
0: oh yeah right and yep. if
2: someone does that on purpose I'm going to eat your entire lunch.
0: Your entire lunch for All the of week. It. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to put it too. Is like does your deck even want it? You know, does it does it fit the, the does your deck need it? Yeah. Every deck I play wants it because I love the initiative. I love the monarchy, but do they need it? Most of the time the answer is probably not. Yeah, no. But they're strong <laughs> enough to once if it gets introduced to the table that I have a decent chance of getting it at least once or twice. So, you know, I'm kind of, my short answer is no, like don't do that. But like the longer answer is it's generally fine. If you want to run the monarch initiative in your deck for the card advantage, obviously that's why you're running it. But if you have no way to protect them, I would not, I would either not a play them or B make them an important aspect to your deck. Yeah. Like you like you kind of mentioned Robertbert, like, okay, you know, you know, I don't really have a way to protect the monarchy, but f- for for some crazy reason, I want Goliath paladin, fine, run the one of if you want, but don't make it like I'm focused on the initiative, even though I don't have any creatures, like that's not gonna work out, you know, honestly, I don't put these mechanics in a deck if I don't have at least a few ways to get it back to protect it, to flicker these creatures like it just feels bad to like you said to spend the mana on these expensive creatures or effects to introduce the initiative and then to never get it back. You're like I'm still stuck in the first room, like all I've gotten is a basic land and everyone else has got, you know, thrown to the dead threes and stuff. So it you know, and as far as like goading your opponents into beating each other, I don't think that comes up as often as you think. Like there mm-hmm. are times where um I have the ability to take the initiative from someone through a free attack. Maybe they're tapped out. Maybe their board just got wiped, what have you. Um, But I won't take it because the next room that I go into, oh, I can create a treasure token or draw a card or whatever, is not worth me being the target for the next player. Like, I don't want to risk it. So more than likely, I'm not going to fall into that sort of quote-unquote trap because it's not worth it to me. Like, I don't find enough value in it. And that's that's one thing, you know, if you're trying to go on this game plan of making your opponents beat each other to death over the initiative or monarchy, you have to really, really trust the fact that they want that super badly because they may not want it at all. Like, there's been plenty of times I don't want it. There's because... just enough
2: little evasive creatures that, like, okay, hit you with... For one shadow and then all of the rest of my dudes like it just it's not consistent enough at goading
0: yeah yeah exactly exactly you know if if your next move if lobert's next move is to go into the throne of the dead three and mine would be to start the Undercity completely fresh I'm not taking that like I don't want to be the target of Lobbert, because he really <laughs> wants to get that free creature he really wants to complete <laughs> the dungeon I don't want to be that target just to go get a basic land you know if and the problem is if your deck is a threat then it's the threat. You know if you're running those things without any real way to protect them then you're just taking up slots that could be used for cards to actually help your game plan. Like when you sit down with v- Viscopa Guildmage you are a threat. Before turn 1 when they see your commander you're a threat. You don't need, you yeah. know, tricking people with the initiative and the monarch is not going to work. They may take it from you. They may take it from each other, but ultimately they're focused on you because they know that you can kill them in one turn very quickly. So
2: and I did, I did want to suggest a couple of other ways that they could do this because yeah, you've mentioned it a few times. Um literal there's two enchantments that say goading on them. I would play both of them. The Just impetuses. Taking, yeah, the martial impetus and the parasitic parasitic impetus. Uh they're worth it if there's a combat based deck they just you slap it on their creature um and then you could even help protect their creature or whatever it's just it's a two for one because one opponent will kill their other opponent's creatures and you're getting that fight or Mm -hmm. it works and they just have a bigger dude that they're attacking your opponent with right there's also spectral grasp which is pretty new
1: your spectral Grasp is so good. Yes, it's,
0: that's the, a fun it's, one.
2: It says the creature can't block you and can't attack you. So that's exactly what you're trying to do is just make sure the big dude doesn't attack you and you don't have to deal with it.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Um. An, another one that I've been experimenting a lot with is building a wall. So just make it just disincentivize attacking you enough that they won't want to attack you because it's just... the cost for even doing it is so high that they won't and i think it's important to balance that with like say i do it by i just have bunches of giant dudes i have three seven sevens with reach no (laughs) one's getting through here no one's attacking either because you have three seven sevens with reach that are gonna just beat down their door if they don't leave back three blockers so literal walls, or little dudes with abilities that have, like, extort. Um, I wrote down Creeping Bloodsucker. Mm-hmm. Th- those all feed perfectly into that same game plan. Little things, like evasive creatures with, like, lifelink, like flying and lifelink or something like that also help your game plan while well, making it so you can take some more hits um, if they do decide to attack you. But who cares? You're just the dude with a a couple of little life linkers. So like, oh yeah, I'll take the four from viscopa and then I can focus my attention on whatever Gretchen or whatever. Right. It's it. I I really like the idea of playing with incentive though. Uh, well, I get one last thing. Uh, Death Touch is another really good one at doing this. Which maybe you do run the Monarch because you have the you can play the Death Touch dude maybe mm-hmm. not but there are creatures that don't have a lot of power so they don't have to fear being attacked you know they can just swing all out and you're not going to do a ton of damage to them um so they can just ignore you right that's all i got though you guys got anything else
0: i think i'm pretty good it's overall i i don't think that's a good philosophy I mean, I guess it could be fun if you want to try it out. I definitely wouldn't do it in a competitive sense, and I specifically wouldn't do it in Viscopa Guildmage, because regardless of what you do in that deck, no one's going to not think you're the threat. <laughs> yeah, and there's a <laughs> lot you, of
2: just good drain effects in there. That's just like... Yeah,
0: right, exactly. And from what I've seen, players, especially at the competitive level, they're going to be smart enough to recognize that you're the threat. They're going to be like, wait a second. We don't need to beat each other down for the initiative. We can just kill the Viscopa pilot, and the initiative will still be on the table. Look at that. Funny yeah. enough, it doesn't go away. <laughs> so, but
2: I know that they didn't. That they said like, "Oh, this isn't," for a competitive table.
0: Yeah, but for sure, for sure. It's I just, hard
2: when 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 trying to say like what's better. That's what you have to kind of lean on is like what would I do in competitive?
0: Yeah, and you know when I think of Viscopa, I just think competitive. So. Yeah, but yeah, totally understood. And it's fun. Like like I said earlier, I, I jam uh, the initiative in almost every one of my decks, even though some of them don't really need it or want it. Like, it's just fun. I love the mechanic itself. So don't let us yeah. stop you from running it. I just wouldn't make it a... I, I wouldn't put it in your deck with the hopes that you're going to kill people. You're going to make people kill each other for it. Like, I don't think it's that strong. At least I haven't seen it happen. Like, I, I don't... I don't get to watch people beat each other up just to get the initiative. Yeah,
2: they're all—they so. just always attack me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: just—it's just what happens. <laughs> so, oh, I think that just about wraps it up for the week. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add, real quick? Pretty good episode. Uh,
2: I—I I hope it was a good one.
0: It was. I got it was out for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> my mouth was working but i was just blacked out huh no it it went some directions i wasn't expecting but i think that's good i like episodes like that like i like episodes where we plan out the show notes and we sort of like use them as a rough guide to get to the end of the show but we don't really like you know focus on them hardcore so i think it was good i think there's a lot of good information in there being
2: entirely truthful i have this uh blue tack you know what that is in my hand that i'm I've just been playing with. It's the same one that I use to spray paint and hold things in place with. So mm-hmm. as I move it around, paint fumes come out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, who knows what I said?
0: Huff and paint on air. You heard it first. All right, I know Robert's got a lot of a lot of links and a lot of content to support, but we're going to start the outro and then we'll get to all those links and then we'll get on out of here. So, as usual, we just got a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. If you need, if you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com or you can head on over to the PDH home base's website. That'll take you right to their Discord server. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at the PDH pod and Liam and I are on there as well at PopperCommand Command and Popper underscore B respectively. And whenever Dave gets back, you can find him just about everywhere else PDH is being talked about and he's doing the gigantic 24-hour pdh stream with the pals this coming saturday i guess the day after this episode hits the public airwave so be sure yeah. to check that out um Robert, where can everybody find you before we get to that um so yes there's the pals stream when is the sanctuary
1: one happening it's not the same saturday is it, same, it day. Same, so day. same day same day sanctuary will be sanctuary will be starting at one but the POW stream will be starting at well, oh, sorry, sorry, one PM Eastern. That's that's twelve central. Uh POWs will be starting at eight PM Eastern, which is seven central. Yeah. So Sanctuary is ideally going for four rounds, then a top cut. So that's five rounds, uh, ninety minutes each would be three, six, seven and a half, seven and a half hours. Yeah, I think so, at most
0: it'll be seven to eight hours.
1: Yeah, wow. seven to eight hours at most. So so the Sanctuary and POW stream should only overlap in the top cut. Yeah. Maybe like the last half hour of round four. Oh. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, sweet.
0: Yeah, it should be no. a uh, jam-packed Saturday of PDH. Oh, yeah.
2: Heck yeah. To answer your question about my links... Yes. It, I think the easiest way to find me is just go to YouTube and type in Lobbert. That's L-O-B-B-E-R-T. And... Mm-hmm. My my video should just come straight up. Um I have a link tree, uh which should be in the, the description, and that'll yep. take you anywhere you want to get.
0: Yeah, and I'll put all that stuff in the show notes too. Like your link tree has your YouTube and Twitch and your stream sign up sheet, Twitter, all that good stuff. So I'll be yep. sure to put that in the uh down below in the show notes. Alrighty. As episode 61 of the PDH Pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, Brew a Deck, uh, just be cool. And we'll see you in a week. Peace. Say bye, everybody. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> You can head on over to... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm laughing at Liam sneezing. you <laughs> 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 oh, Okay. Whew. All right. I'll have to edit that part out.
1: Okay. Now that's the end of the real blooper.
0: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, I like bloopers. <laughs> okay. But sure. I think that's going gonna... to wrap up episode 61 of the of each... what is going on here is that you Liam
1: yeah my computer is having a seizure
0: <laughs> I could save hundreds you could save hundreds yeah. by listening to the PDH pod episode 61 <laughs> <sighs> oh. uh, I was we trying wanted... to
1: close a tab that had an ad playing and it kept playing
0: I thought that was me because I have three or four tabs open because you know scryfall and whatever so I thought that was me and I was like clicking through like I don't see anything playing no.
1: what is happening <laughs> I've <laughs> got like 10 tabs and one of them started playing an ad.
0: <laughs> this episode's not going good. I brought <laughs> Pop with Text at the party. I brought Pop with Text at the party.